0: The more to Sabuk ko wattu arahtu sama sam Bhudhaasa the more to Sabuk ko Buddhaṃ dhammaṃ So this first question says, I've been reading Mindfulness by Ajahn Sumaito. In it he says that Samatha is concentrating the mind on an object, such as the sensation of breathing. And Vipassana is opening the mind up to everything, not choosing any particular object to concentrate on. I'm slightly confused as to which of the techniques you have mentioned to us are Samatha and which are Vipassana. And also when we should be using which, uh, it's good, thank you for asking for clarification because if uh, if you're sitting there not feeling confident and clear about this sort of aspect, then it can the uncertainty and and lack of confidence can can interrupt unnecessarily um, your practice, so I'm pleased that you asked. These words, samatha and vipassana, are used these days uh, quite commonly by uh, people in the Buddhist world, and and they have been identified as techniques. There is, there is, there is the vipassana tradition uh, in America, what's called the Insight Meditation Society, uh, uh, Jack Cornfield, Joseph Goldstein, and friends something that was started up 25 or so years ago in Massachusetts, and there's the branch and places in this country, Gaia House, where people do Vipassana, and then there's the the Burmese-based tradition under Ubar Kin, who was a a lay teacher in Burma who had many students, uh, one of which was Mr. Goenka, uh, Mother Sayama, John Coleman, these people, and they also teach what's called Vipassana, also there's the Mahasi or tradition, which comes out of Burma, where they uh, they teach Vipassana and, and Samatha, or Samadhi, has uh, got a bit of a bad reputation. And then there are other traditions which make a big thing out of Samadhi, and you have to develop the jhanas. and you People read the scriptures and come up with notions about which jhanas you have to develop, what stage of absorption or concentration you have to develop before you can do vipassana. So that's just to say something about the the technical approach to this question that I can understand why people do have doubts about it. I personally have never felt inclined to master these teachings as techniques per se and what's behind that I'm not sure I, I have a bit of a, uh, a distrust of a, of a technician's approach to the spiritual life, I believe it's too it's too multi-dimensional it's too complex, it's too m- mobile, it's too amorphous I don't believe there is a strategy that we can get a hold of that's going to fix us up and enlighten us, to put it bluntly and that's the part, that's what kicks in in my mind when I start, if I hear somebody talking about, this is a technique you've got to do. I just sort of think, oh, well, I'm, I'm not going, I'm not going to do that. Uh, uh, some of you may have um, read the translations of Ajahn Chah's teachings by Paul Breiter, uh, who used to be Warapanya, who was a monk we lived together in the early days of Wapapong with Ajahn Chah. And, and Paul Brighter was relating this story about one of his friends who, who was in Bodh Gaya in India, and and he he asked some Zen roshi, uh, what was what was the Buddha doing when he was sitting under the Bodhi tree? Because you know there's the Bodhi tree there in Bodh Gaya, and, and uh, whatever the Zen master said, I think he was oh he was doing zazen, or and then he, he'd asked Mr. Goenkā, and what was the Buddha doing when he was sitting under the Bodhi tree? And Mr. Goenkā said, oh the Buddha was practicing vipassana. So when Ajahn Chah heard this, he said, well, if you look at it like that, you can just end up getting into scraps with each other about you know, what's the right technique and who's doing it best and so on and so forth. But he said that he thought it was most useful to look at these things more in terms of the spirit. And the Bodhi tree was really a symbol for the Buddha's right view. The Bodhi tree was what the Buddha was sitting under all the time. Well, even if the Buddha was sitting outside, there weren't any trees around Actually, he was still sitting under the Bodhi tree. And the important thing is, is not you know, what technique we're doing or what tree we're sitting under, but the view with which we're seeing life. So that was Ajahn Chah's take on it, and I, I find a great, I feel a great confidence and, and sympathy with that approach. That rather than focusing on the technique it can also be very productive to focus on the way we hold our techniques. Now, there's nothing wrong with this question, and I'm not belittling the question. It's a perfectly good question, as I said in the beginning. However, before I address it directly, I'd like to say that that what we're actually doing, whether it's Samatha or called Samatha or Vipassana or whether we're doing this style or that style, I don't think it's the most important thing. It's where we're coming from, how we're holding it. If we're holding it in a way whereby we think this, I've got to do this right, and I'm afraid of doing it wrong, and I've got to get this technique down, and then I'll crack it, and there's a big me in there doing the meditating, and I don't think we're seeing that big me when we're caught up like that, and that big me, I would say, is clouding our view. So, that's why I say the most important thing is the view with which we're uh, engaging our practice, and how we're holding the practice that we're doing. This specific question, or well, something similar to this specific question, was asked of Ajahn Chah when when I was living with him as a junior monk. Once I, I happened to stay behind from arms round. I don't know why, I was probably sick again. <laughs> I usually was. And uh, for some reason or other, I hadn't gone on the long arms round, which is you know five miles long or something, and I was back in the monastery and I, I was going to walk with with, with Chah just through the uh, the nun's village which is something he would do uh, most mornings in those days and I was sitting with him under his uh, his cottage there was kuti and these two laywomen came to see him now one later on became Maitchi rochanar she asked this question of Ajahn Chah I said well what's the difference between Samatha and Vipassana and how can you teach Vipassana when you say there's no self that just seems to be what Vipassana is all about, there's no self there's nobody there and there's a mistake to think there is somebody there how can you teach that but then still do Samatha because if there's nobody there you can't concentrate there's, you know there's got to be somebody to concentrate and if there's nobody there well there's no practice to do and he said, well that's a good question he said, he said I see it like this, I think it's like Samatha is having having some potatoes and Vipassana is like cooking them. Mm. And I think that's a good image. Yeah. <laughs> the work really is Vipassana. That's the work. That's looking into. Vipassana, pasana, or pasata, means to look into. To look into. Vipassana means to look into in terms of reality. Samatha is about stilling or concentrating or stilling the mind. But as in Cha was saying, was we can't look into the reality of our experience unless we've actually got a mind that's sufficiently still to work with. And with the potatoes, I mean, you, 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 know, you, you can't cook potatoes if you haven't got any potatoes, can you? You've got to have potatoes to start off with. However, if all you do is just got raw potatoes, and I don't know about you, but raw potatoes, I don't think they're very good. raw potatoes are not up to much you've got to cook them first and the point he was making was there's no point in just developing samatha and becoming very concentrated and and as beautiful and as lovely states of mind as you may be able to get into in other places he pointed out how intoxicating and, and, and dangerous highly refined states of samatha can be unless you have a very clear appreciation of the function of vipassana However, if we want to do our, we pass in our practice, we want to look into the nature of conditions. Or as this is Ajahn Sumedho apparently pointed out in this book, it's not choosing any object in particular to concentrate on, it's opening up awareness and receiving the conditions that pass through our mind. If we want to do that, but we don't already have a certain stillness, a certain focus of mind, we just can't do it. We'd like to do it, and you know, if you've got a discursive sort of mind, like most of us probably got educated, have very discursive minds, and just like, flit from one object to another, comparing, judging, assimilating, analysing, evaluating, all the things that come into our mind, what does this mean, what does that mean, what's going to, where did it come from, what's it going to turn into? We're very good at all of that. But if that's all we can do... We tend to operate on a, a level of mind that's fairly mediocre. You can't get deep. It's like it's like having you know lots of casual relationships with lots of people. You know, you talk to this person, you talk to that one, you gossip with this one, you chat to that one, and you have a drink with this one, you have a meal with that one. But then you, you go home at night and you're terribly lonely because you don't have any deep friendships. Sometimes it's the time to just say it doesn't matter who's ringing you up or what other points you've got if you've got your primary relationship and you've got something to work out, well, you've got to give value to that. Say, so, right, we need some quality time together. Because if we don't, we're going to lose what's important to us. And so we, sometimes we've got to exclude other relationships. As nice as it might be to flit around and have all sorts of little nice relationships all over the place, sometimes we've just got to say, okay, no to those things so that we can deepen here with this one. Get some deepening in the relationship, some intensification, some clarity, and then we all know hopefully I expect the the value of of having deep friendship, but that has to be cultivated deep friendship has to be cultivated, and to cultivate it we've got to sacrifice something and so it is with our formal practice that is tempting and scintillating as some of the mind states might be that come up in meditation it's also important that we do know how to deepen to touch into a deep dimension a deeper dimension of our being than the one that we're usually flitting around on and that does mean sacrifice it means giving up some of these fascinating mental proliferations and and, and it is a real sacrifice for i you know after 27 years as a monk 30 years meditating i still find it difficult to give up some of the amazing mind states that i have You know, they're just so interesting, and I think I could just dwell on the design of the bathroom down in the retreat house. I find, believe it or not, I find that a really nice thing to think about. I just want the retreatants to come here, and I want them to be able to do their washing in their room without splashing water on the floor, and to have a little shelf with a nice glass to put their toothbrush, and believe it or not, I think about these things. and the colour and shall we have a slate slab there or shall we have painted and if it's paint should it be gloss or gloss is toxic and shall we have natural paints and or could we just try having some natural oils? I can I tell you, I could spend hours <coughs> thinking about just the design of the hand basin. <laughs> Embarrassing, isn't it? Now fortunately I have a little control on this and and I, I realize that as scintillating and rewarding as it and as fun as it is to think about the design of the hand basin in the retreat house, or the bathroom in the retreat house, that's not really going to cut. It's not really going to actually help me see beyond the deluded states of mind that are the source of my suffering. Yeah. And I do suffer. I mean, we all suffer. You know, I may have met one or two people in life who've gone beyond suffering, but there's not many. The rest of us all suffer. We suffer from greed, we suffer from anger, we suffer from delusion. And vipassana is the word that describes the activity of a deep listening, a deep inquiry into the reality of our suffering. That's what vipassana means. And samatha is generating sufficient stillness, stability, focus of mind to be able to do that work if our minds are, as I said, too dissipated and we follow all the thoughts and feelings and sensations that come up then there's no clarity, we don't know that feeling of when the mind just drops if you've been meditating long enough then you're familiar with what I mean by that, it's just you drop into a different energetic experience of the body-mind and there can still be all the yabbering going on but it's like I was saying last night, it's like listening to the, the workman's radio you just hear it and it's not, it's not you. you know, in the same way you could still get caught up in it and, and you could start thinking oh I shouldn't be having these thoughts but there's a capacity and that clarity to reflect on that very thought of I shouldn't be having these thoughts, that's Vipassana. That's the inquiry, that's looking into the nature of these things. You're sitting there, if you've got some degree of samadhi, again, to Kodajan Chari said, you need enough samadhi to be able to read a book. If you want to know how much samadhi you need to do Vipassana, you need enough samadhi to read a book. If you've got enough samadhi to read a book, then you can actually read your own mind your own heart and that's what we pass in our is it's it's the work of reading or studying or inquiring into our own heart mind so that we can discover just the same as you read a book you you read uh, somebody was telling me recently that they were they were reading Harry Potter volume 5 the story unfolds you learn what's happening what happened to hagrid anyway you know why wasn't he there at the beginning of the year and <laughs> whatever else happens in Volume 5. And who was it who got killed anyway? And as we read, when the story unfolds. Or if you're reading a manual. If you've got a new CD burner in your computer and it's faster and better than the last one and more reliable, and well you can just bung it in and stick the wires here, there and anywhere and it might work, but actually it's much better to read the manual. It's work though to read the manual. I confess I'm one of those characters who tends to just stick the wires in, and, and if it doesn't call, work, I call over Jayamana and say, it's not working, <laughs> as if there's something wrong with it. Well, of course, there's nothing wrong with it, as I didn't read the manual. And he's cleverer than me. He reads manuals and always, usually always gets them working. We read the manual so as to understand. We learn to read our own hearts and minds so as we understand. And so that's as every pasana is for insight, for understanding, for seeing clearly. I and mean, then, when there's insight, there's freedom. There's letting go. It happens. We can't make ourselves let go just because we think we should. Yeah. Like being caught up in in some some mental activity. Use the example again of the retreat house. Yeah, well, you know, we might have we might have the workers coming to build a retreat house. Tanabe has got a contract out on a couple of people. Well, no, a couple of people are going to give us a contract. <laughs> he hasn't got a contract out on two people, but two people are going to give us a contract, uh, give us a, a quote on a contract for this job, and and that would mean a lot of work and mean marvellous to have that thing done, and and that's that could be happening in the next month. That could be happening in the next month, and a lot of money and, and it'll have a big impact on the community and that's not a design issue it's a practical issue but I could easily get obsessed with with thinking about that and I am concerned about it although I would much rather like to just forget and say oh Tanabhi Nanda he can look after it, he's the workmaster it's not really my responsibility however the mind because we have attachments we can get obsessed with these things and well, I think I shouldn't be thinking about next month and building a retreat house. That doesn't do it, does it? It's just, I shouldn't be thinking about these things. I know there's no point in it, rationally. It's not helping. It's not helping Tanipi it's not helping the retreat house if I think about these things. It's not helping me. It gets me sort of stirred up and restless. And so just shooting on ourselves and saying, well, that's not right, I shouldn't be thinking about these things. I should be thinking about loving kindness or boundless universal compassion or or whatever. Still the obsession's there. So we can willfully focus on our meditation object and just say, Stop it. Just stop thinking about these things. Just come back to the breath and really hold the hold the focus on the end of your nose and just really hold it. But this this passion is I just want to think about what what has he done that drains his has Bill really taken responsibility for getting the pipes in the right place? Because if he hasn't, there's going, be, there's going to be all hell to pay. And, and what about the neighbours? Have we put it in a contract that they're not allowed to play their radios on the building site? And if I don't think about these things, say, no, just stop it and come back to the breath. Just, just, just focus, 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 focus. And using will, using focus, using determination, and I'm reasonably willful sort of chat, and uh, I can do it. But sometimes I know when I've done this, then when I finish, I I stand up and I, you know, there have been times when I've actually fallen over, my focus is all gone and I I can't see and I can't walk straight because basically I've thrown my whole system out of balance. This is a willful focusing, trying to stop this obsessive interest with that wretched retreat house. So that doesn't work. So idealizing about how I shouldn't be thinking about these things doesn't work. Willfulness doesn't work. Sometimes these things do work. You know, there are some degrees of mental distraction whereby that's exactly what's called for. Just saying, well, this is pointless, I won't do it, and so we just bring our mind back to the meditation. Obviously, that's it. And there are other levels of distraction whereby we do need to willfully focus. The Buddha talked about it's like a strong man holding down a weak man in a fight. That sometimes is called for in terms of dealing with mental distractions. But there are other qualities of distractions, intensities of distraction, the deep ones, the passionate attachments that we have, that those approaches don't work. And so that's where we need to Relate in a more open-hearted, receptive mode, and and become interested and start to inquire. To inquire. So, what is in the next level? Is what is the reality of this distraction anyway? You know, like my my fantasy, my idea about next month. What is the reality of that? The reality of it is, it's like it's a blip. It's a blip in my mind. Probably nobody else is thinking about what well, Tanabim might be, but. Nobody else is thinking about next week in the retreat house, next month in the retreat house. You know, it's just me sitting here getting all hot and bothered about it. It's in my mind. It's a creation. It's a mental creation. That's the reality of it. And inquiring, contemplating like that, if it's done with some stability, it's, that's important, there's got to be a certain degree of stability and tranquility, then that inquiry, and you you looking at it, then the, the heart in and of itself sees the reality of that that's a fantasy. That's it's an empty fantasy. It's an empty fantasy. It's just a it's like a photograph. It's the same as memories. You know, we can become obsessed with memories and of things that have happened in the past and but when you turn your mind if it's steadied, if you've got some samadhi, if you've got some stability, concentration, focus, then you the steadied attention you can look into the actual mental impression that we call a memory, and you look at it and just it's nothing. It's just nothing. It's, just, it's like a photograph. You turn over to the other side, it's nothing. You look at one side and oh, there's my old friend and we were doing that together. And, you, know, you get all excited, you turn over and it's just a Kodak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, a Fuji or whatever. Yeah. It's nothing. It's empty. Yeah. And it's the same when we inquire into the mental states, we can see through them. And then the heart lets me out, "Oh right, it's not what I thought it was. I thought it was something you know really important. And you come back to this present moment and you feel lighter, and oh, good." And then after the meditation, you stand up and you walk and your, your feet are nice, firm on the ground, and you're stable and balanced, and there's this lovely feeling of lightness, like you've let go of something, and we have let go of something, we've let go of some delusion. And that's one way of understanding Vipassana. Now another dimension of of vipassana practice would be to actually contemplate according to the three characteristics of this the content of our minds, and as I mentioned before, the the nature of the the theme on selflessness or anatta, that if uh, you know, we we take everything very personally that comes up in meditation, and we can. Uh, become obsessed and concerned and anxious and confused because uh, we feel there's there's this dynamic of this is me having this problem. This is mine. This is my problem. Now if there's sufficient samadhi, sufficient stability, tranquility, clarity of mind, you can be sitting there and the image of or the idea, the image or the idea of Retreat House can pop up and it's there and if you're stable enough and strong enough, it can just be there for a while and you don't move. You're steady with Samadhi, you don't move and it just goes. And this feeling, well, why have I created such a problem out of that in the past? Is that me? Was that fantasy me? In the past, they used to think that fantasy was me. I'm having this fantasy. This is my fantasy. Especially if it's one of those beautiful fantasies, and this is my beautiful fantasy, or my important idea. Now, if there's some samadhi and stability of mind, and we're present for one of these moments of arising, and we stay with it, and we don't move on it, we just watch it, then it can pass away, and then the... A little insight, a little understanding of the teaching the Buddha's teaching on anatta can arise in that moment, a direct understanding. Oh, no. This stuff is not me, this is not mine at all. I don't have to take it so personally, I don't be so hung up about it. And we get a little feeling for that, you actually have a wonderful feeling of freshness and lightness and you start things there's nothing that you can't let into your mind. There's nothing you have to feel embarrassed about. There's nothing you have to worry about. There's nothing we have to struggle or fight or get rid of or condemn or judge. Yeah. There's the helpful image, or well I find helpful image of, of um, the mind being like a vast empty space, or like a room, a vast empty space. And mindfulness is like the shaft of light penetrating the room, like a shaft of light coming through this window. and and then you can see, and you see all these specks of dust floating around. And these specks of dust are like the moments of sense consciousness. Memories, fantasies, perceptions, feelings, sensations, thoughts, sounds, tastes, touches, all these impressions that register in consciousness. They're actually all floating through the empty space of awareness. Vipassana is actually understanding that, is investigating until we feel the reality, of the relativity of all this stuff. Our problem, our suffering, is that we just we get the stuff in our eyes. You know, we get the dust in our eyes, and we start to cry. And we, you know, even the gold dust. If you get gold dust in your eyes, it makes you cry, and you're itchy eyes, and you're rubbing your eyes. And well, you know, the only problem is that we actually got the stuff in our eyes, or we we grasped it. And then you know, then we start to suffer. Vipassana is the inquiry into the reality of the content of our experience to the point where we actually see through the way it appears to be and then letting go happens and then we f- experience the benefit. And then there's the confidence that says, All right, this is the way. Letting go is the way, not grasping. Now that's not something we could have convinced ourselves of logically. We might have heard it from some teacher and intuitively something good within us might have recognized and said, yeah, 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 that's right, just no clinging, everything's impermanent. But that's the initial level. Then we practice, steady the mind, make it strong and still and clear, and then release out of it and broaden our perspective, as Ajahn Sumedho says, not focusing on any particular object and just sitting there. And as these objects do arise, then we can study them, we can read them, we can learn from them, and then we can eventually understand them and see beyond the way they appear to be. So it is important that, uh, that we appreciate that, the, that these, these aspects of the practice go together. Yeah. Another way Ajin Chah had of talking about it was, he said, Samatha and Vipassana, he said, it's like, like Samatha is the handle of the knife and Vipassana is the blade actually when you pick up one you pick up the other and when we're practicing really we're doing both it's just that there are different ways of talking about different aspects of the practice You know, the blade is really for cutting, as for dissecting as for going into and the handle is for holding and so it is in our samadhi practice we hold the meditation object until through the holding the mind becomes focused and stilled and intense and deepened and then drops into a dimension whereby we can read our own hearts and minds. Now just how deep we have to drop before we can read, well it's different for different people. But that concentration needs to be there to some degree and then the study needs to be there for some degree. If we just practice one without the other, well actually that's uh, very imbalanced and, and, and we don't feel the benefit as a result. Ajahn Tate, the first teacher I lived with when I was in Thailand, my first year as a monk, he used to say that samadhi practice was, uh, that was what monks do uh, for a holiday. It's like, he said, lay people, they play football. And monks, they call samadhi. It's like, it's what you do to feel good. You make the mind feel really good. Learn how to get really peaceful, get contented, get happy. And then in that well-prepared, together, integrated state, we can deepen and we can inquire and we can actually ask sometimes very disturbing questions. Some of the challenges that we we have to receive, the feelings of feeling threatened, as the deluded levels of identity fall away. Yeah. Whether it's something that happens as a result of meditation inquiry or something that's happening in our daily life, uh, all of us, at some stage or other, feel personally threatened. Like losing a friendship. And that feeling of feeling threatened. Now that feeling is a, is a symptom of a, of a deep attachment. I mean, if you know the feeling of feeling threatened, deeply threatened. Where it disturbs your sleep, where it disturbs your whole routine, your whole life. When something like that happens, and we're sitting meditation then to be able to receive that feeling, that sensation of I feel threatened, without becoming it, requires a stability of mind. If we try to receive these difficult states, like feeling threatened or other things that anything can come up in meditation, if we try to receive them without proper preparation, well, the consequences are not necessarily going to be very, uh, very pleasant or, or, or very helpful. So these two aspects of, of practice of samatha and uh, need to be cultivated together. And uh, it's already nine o'clock, so I think that's enough this evening. Thank you very much for your attention.